opened the door to the most powerful room in housing, built for mortgage executives, real estate leaders, and the rising stars that drive innovation and progress. The gathering will feature over 45 powerful speakers on stage in Scottsdale, Arizona from April 21st to 24th. Learn more and register now at housingwirethegathering.com. Welcome everyone. I'm Sarah Wheeler, Editor-in-Chief at HW Media with the latest installment of the Housing Wire Daily Podcast, where I get to talk to our editors and reporters about the most compelling stories and sources they're covering. Today, my guest is reporter Brooklyn Hahn, who covers real estate, title, and other news for both HousingWire and Realtrends. But before we dive in, here's a brief word from our sponsor. Why should you price your jumbo loans with PennyMac TPO? Is it the same great service you've come to expect with their conventional loans? Yes. Is it the competitive pricing they provide? Yes. Is it the fact that after closing, they don't sell off your borrowers so that you know they are in good hands? That would also be a yes. Get more information or price a jumbo AUS loan today at tpo.pennymac.com. PennyMac TPO is a division of PennyMac Loan Services, LLC, Equal Housing Lender. NMLS ID number 35953. Loans not available in New York. Licensed by the Department of Business Oversight under the California Residential Mortgage Lending Act. Conditions and restrictions may apply. Brooklyn, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Great to have you. You've been doing a great job reporting on uh, quite a number of things. The real estate beat is just giant. And so, you know, you're covering things, everything from M&A to people expanding to title to, um, you know, hot markets and everything in between. So great to have you on to discuss some of those things today. Yes. Yeah, there's certainly a lot happening in uh, the real estate industry right now. You know, one of the things I wanted to talk about today was home building. So we got the jobs report last week uh, on Friday, and it was a blockbuster report. And the construction sector stood out there. So maybe you could uh, get us up to speed on what the jobs report showed us for uh, how the construction sector is rebounding. Sure. So, you know, January was a little bit disappointing uh, in the construction sector, uh, lost 5,000 jobs, but February was really strong. Um, it was one of the strongest sectors overall. Um, construction gained uh, 60,000 jobs in February, um, and roughly three quarters of these jobs were gained in specialty trade contractors and residential contractors. Um, so that was great. Um, you know, it's really good to see, you know, contractors and jobs in construction coming back right now. Um, I know a lot of home builders have been struggling to uh, get labor and get contractors. um, And that's kind of been causing a bit of a holdup and delay in some of the construction that's been going on along with, you know, um, material shortages and supply chain issues as well. Um, But it's great to see more jobs coming back in construction, but overall, the sector is still 11,000 jobs below where it was in February 2020. And with this uptick in demand for housing, um, you know, we probably want to gain back, you know, even more than those 11,000 jobs to really help these home builders and this industry kind of come back. I think one of the things that is so uh, difficult there is it's the skilled construction jobs that are really missing. 
And that, you know, it's, it's a question, where have those workers gone? Um, and are we training enough new ones of them? Because it's not just like, oh, you know, construction show up and do a job. It's like, these are skilled tradesmen. If you don't have them, and if they're if they're so busy, you are waiting and waiting. Um, me personally, we, we looked at uh, buying a house recently. And if you start from scratch, it's it's 10 months to a year. This is not a custom home. This is just, you know, a, a builder in a neighborhood doing the same kind of homes. It's it's almost a year. And they, they're building that in just, they said, because of not only the lab, uh, the supply shortages you're talking about for materials, but definitely, he said, it's just a, it's really difficult to get that skilled tradesman coming in and knowing you can count on them at certain times. Yes, absolutely. Um, I recently was talking to a home builder out in the Chicago area, and um, he had hired a subcontractor for some part of the project and, you know, got one quote in, was all set to go. Uh, the client was cool with the price and everything came back with the bill at the end. And it was way more, um, because one of the employees of the subcontractor had, uh, left and started his own construction company and was trying to take some of his, uh, some of his former coworkers away to his new company. And so, the subcontractor ended up having to, you know, increase how much he was paying his workers to retain them, basically. And it's really competitive right now, um, just because there aren't as many people working in the industry. And, you know, there are people who are venturing off starting their own companies, and the workers can kind of ask how, you know, for what how much they want salary wise. And, that's great for them, but it's driving up the costs for the home builders and their clients. You know, this is um, from your story uh, just a few weeks ago called It's Crazy Home Builders Big and Small Struggle to Finish Projects. And we know that our audience is so interested in what's going on with the home builders. That story has done, uh, has gotten great traffic. And that's because people really are trying to figure out, you know, is this going to be, you know, what helps the inventory? And if we need more inventory to come online, then you know, construction is one of the places that we'll look for that. But, you know, tell us a little bit more about what you found in reporting out that story. I, I know at one point you said, you know, over 1.7 million homes are under construction, which is the highest level in decades. But, um, you know, that it, it's not it's not about starting, it's about finishing. So maybe talk a little bit about that. Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, since the start of the pandemic, there's really been an increased interest, of course, in, you know, buying new homes, but also renovating current homes. And then um, as inventory has kind of dwindled, you know, purchasing new builds and homes like that. And this has really put a strain on the home building industry and on contractors who might not only be working on building new homes, but also, you know, bathroom renovations, kitchen remodels, doing an addition for a home office on an existing property. Um, and, you know, that's really put a strain on the materials, which the supplies of various things from gypsum to windows to lumber, which has been, you know, in the news quite a bit. Um, and, you know, builders might be able to access, you know, lumber at one point in time and be able to put the framing up. But then, windows all of a sudden are taking, you know, 15 weeks to come in instead of six. And so, you know, homes are starting, projects are starting, but 
the finishing touches, sometimes, uh, sometimes even essential things like windows or drywall just are so backed up that it'll, you know, it's been taking forever to finish the projects. You know, speaking to Lumber for just a minute, I feel like over the last 18 months, we've all become, ex- not experts, but Lumber watchers in a way that we never were before, right? So we're like, what is the board feed of Lumber price right now? You know, what is it going for here? And and you did a great job in that story, kind of outlining what's going on. The fact that lumber prices soared to over fifteen hundred per thousand board feet um, back, you know, at in May of twenty twenty one, and then it dipped, you know, over the summer and uh, into September, it was down to four hundred. And so if you stop paying attention at that point, you're like, oh, but lumber prices are better. It's like no, no, they've come back up again to $1,200 per thousand board feet in mid-January of this year. So that is just, again, that's just one factor in, in this larger picture of the house, but that's a really significant factor. Um, one, one of the people that you talked to, um, who David Logan, the director um, of the National Association of Home Builders, you know, really puts it out to like output in the sawmill industry is, is relatively flat. And so it's not that, you know, they, they need to do so much more on a regular basis, but the demand is just so much higher. Yes, exactly. And that's kind of similar for all of the other kind of key components in home building. Um, you know, the output is fairly flat. And while there are plans to, you know, increase siding, uh, places that manufacture siding or gypsum, or windows and things like that, uh, or garage doors, which um, New York Times even wrote a feature about. Um, the, those new manufacturers and new plants won't be on board until at least 2023, which means these supply issues are going to last um, through the year because it doesn't look like the demand is going anywhere. It's it's really striking. I mean, I I just don't know that we've ever had this before. So let's talk a little bit about disruption. So, um, you know, we, we're you know lumber is something that happens pretty close to home here, whether it's uh, from here or Canadian lumber. But some of these other things are really just getting stuck outside, you know, in the supply chain. Um, and that was, I, I believe, you reported the story before the um, the Russian invasion of Ukraine. So, you know, we can see that that's probably going to disrupt a few more uh, industries there. So talk a little bit about the supply chain bottlenecks. Um, yeah. So a lot of the big home builders are, obviously they have a lot of buying power, but even they are struggling with supply chain bottlenecks. Um, Lennar, uh, mentioned it during uh, their earnings call a couple weeks ago. Um, I think Pulte has as well. Um, and things are, you know, getting stuck out at sea. They are just not getting unloaded, things like that. Um, that also stems a bit from, you know, a labor shortage in, you know, warehousing and things like that. And so that's also causing some bottlenecks as well. Um, and, you know, housing starts have been doing pretty well so far this year. But as we talked about earlier, you know, starting a home is one thing, getting it finished and uh, delivering it to the new homeowner is another. Yeah, we had um, uh, lead analyst uh, Logan Motoshami wrote about this uh, last week, two weeks ago, I'm not sure, where it's like, you know, if you look at permits, that's great. Completions 
on new homes are the problem. And, you know, that's part of your reporting on that story was um, that home builder saying he knew some home builders who are just sitting on the sidelines right now or have really uh, cut back because it's just too hard to predict. And, and you know, you're you're risking it with clients because you're continually having to give them bad news about overruns on cost, but also especially, you know, how long it's taking. Yes. Yeah, for sure. He um, said a lot of the other kind of boutique or smaller home builders in the Chicago area are currently sitting out or, you know, have even moved into a different business right now, just because it is so frustrating for them to have to give bad news to clients and, you know, to not be able to do the work that they want to do because of all the constraints on the industry um, right now. And, you know, that's, that's been a huge hurdle for them. Um, You know, it's definitely easier for the larger home builders that are, you know, putting up entire neighborhoods, um, you know, builders like Lennar and Pulte, you know, who have more resources and a bigger reach, but they are also struggling right now too. No, great point. Well, let's, let's pivot just a little bit because there's another um, story that you're reporting out on that I think is really interesting. And that is um, the impact of the Ukraine conflict on the U.S. housing market. So the National Association of Realtors, um, you know, made a statement, put out a report that that they feel like um, the Ukraine conflict is unlikely to directly impact U.S. housing market. Now we've we've had you know numerous stories on, you know, anytime you have that sort of international disruption, you have a flight to safety, which is the U.S. bond market, which is right now keeping uh, mortgage rates lower than anyone thought they would be this year. Right. So this is just an out an outlier event. But aside from that, I think what they're what their report is really talking about is the number of people from Russia who would be buying homes. So maybe tell us a little bit about that story. And then the other story that you're uh, just now reporting on. Sure. Yeah. So the National Association of Realtors um, issued a report earlier this week, um, as you said, discussing, you know, what the potential impact um, of the Russia-Ukraine crisis will have on the housing market. And, um, you know, according to the report, foreign buyers um, between April 2015 and March 2021, foreign buyers accounted for just about 2% of existing home sale purchases in the U.S. And Russian buyers made up just 0.8% of all foreign home buyers in the U.S., which is pretty minuscule. Um, And so if we look at just that, um, it doesn't appear that, you know, what's going on uh, in Russia and Ukraine will have any huge impact overall on the housing market. Um, NAR even suggested that, you know, with that, it might alleviate some of the pressures on the housing market and demand, making it easier for domestic buyers potentially, or at least eliminating some of their competition. But, you know, there are also other ramifications of what's going on that, you know, can have an indirect impact on foreign buyers in the U.S. Um, You know, from April 2015 to March 2021, the top foreign buyers of U.S. residential property uh, came from China, Canada, Mexico, India, and the United Kingdom. Um, But, you know, due to the geopolitical situation and economic sanctions on Russia, Western European economies are, you know, facing 
you know, potentially an energy crisis as two thirds of Europe's crude imports and 41% of the EU's natural gas resources come from Russia. Um, You know, earlier today, uh, President Biden announced a ban on importing Russian oil to the US. So I'm sure, you know, there will be a similar situation going on in Europe pretty soon, which will definitely cause, you know, gas prices and commodity prices to increase drastically. Um, And China um, imports a lot of wheat, corn and sunflower oil from Ukraine. And, you know, obviously those are not happening right now, which will cause prices in China to increase, which could then potentially, um, you know, lead to less investment from buyers from those countries uh, in the U.S. housing market. But One thing that this report does not kind of get into is the fact that a lot of foreign buyers use shell companies to kind of anonymously buy property in the U.S. And, you know, there are a lot of reasons why you might, you know, use a shell company um, to purchase property. Some of it's security reasons, um, you know, wishing to stay anonymous, things like that. But frequently they're used to launder money. Um, and launder money through the U.S. housing market. And so earlier uh, in December, so a couple months ago now, the Biden administration announced um, that it is looking to expand reporting requirements on all cash real estate transactions. Um, And currently, there are only 12 metropolitan areas in the U.S. in which Title insurance companies are required by law to file reports um, identifying individuals who made all cash real estate purchases exceeding $300,000 through shell companies. Um, And so, and those 12 areas are called um, geographic uh, targeting orders, and those started in 2016. Um, And so later on in December, FinCEN, the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network, uh, announced um, basically a proposal of rulemaking and they asked for public comment. And that closed in late February. And this is a story I'm currently reporting out, but a lot of the big trade organizations, so NAR and Alta, while they're supportive of the overall goal of preventing money laundering and, you know, preventing people from basically illegally using the U.S. housing market. There, There's controversy of how these things should be enforced, who's responsible for reporting, um, you know, who has the capacity to report. Um, a lot of title and real estate agents find that these requirements, you know, they don't know enough, so they don't feel comfortable, you know, reporting. They the brokerages don't feel like they have enough manpower to kind of police this themselves. They're also not, you know, a government agency, so they don't feel like they have the jurisdiction to be policing this. Um, so it will be interesting to see kind of how this all shakes out. Um, but you know, given that a lot of foreign buyers do use shell companies and a lot of them are Russian, you know, that could also put a larger impact on the US housing market than NAR originally or anticipated through this report that they put out. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I really feel like that number by NAR, it's 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 uh, pretty small. 
Uh, but that's just the known buyers, right? Um, you know, in 2020, Congress passed legislation um, that lets the Treasury Department, you know, try try to do this because it requires companies to self-report to Treasury uh, certain basic information, including the assets' true owners. But to your point, it's like that. Who who is doing that? It's it's a self-reporting number one, and, and then number two, if you expect that realtors or title companies are going to do this, to me, this is a very this is very much in conflict with what they're trying to do. They're, they're trying to serve a customer. Um, so, you know, to, to serve a customer, but also sort of enforce something that maybe a lot of those customers don't want. It, it feels like it puts them in a very untenable situation because to your point, they're not a, they don't have any um, law enforcement backing. They're not government agencies. And so even if they do all their due diligence, it's possible that the you know, that there's misreporting to them. So to get to the true number here, to know what that number is, just um, seems impossible, which a lot of, you know, news outlets have been talking about that, you know, to see what this really looks like, to see where these assets are, it's not as easy as just like, oh, we'll just pull this up. You know, it, it, it's a it's an incredibly complex problem. Um, so we'll be interested in, in what you find on that and, and what the scope of that is. And I, I especially like the angle that you're taking you know, we're, we're housing wire, we're real trends. So we're a B2B publication. So how this affects us is like, you know, you're a title professional, you're a real estate agent, or, or you're in this, what are you supposed to do? You know, what if this is someone you have no idea, um, you know, you're dealing with, you know, people three, three levels down, who are in a shell company, how is it that you're supposed to know if that information that they're providing is, is true or not? And then on the back end, what should you be held accountable for? Um, so I, I do think it's kind of a, a potential big mess for them. So I'll be interested to see what your reporting is on on how those regulations are going to be enforced, because that's where we really find the devils in the details. It's great to say, OK, the real estate professionals or the title professionals should be doing this. It's like, OK, but what sort of resources do they have to do that or to, you know, to be held accountable if that's not true? Like at, how much due diligence are they supposed to do with this? And are you giving them any of those tools to do it? Yeah, exactly. I mean, the National Association of Realtors in their comment pointed out that 87% of their members are independent contractors, small businesses, and sole proprietors. And, you know, they're already doing a ton as it is between marketing properties, you know, finding leads, showing properties, being at closings, doing all the things that real estate agents need to do. You know, if they aren't part of a mega team or, you know, part of a huge brokerage, this could really put a lot of strain on them. And, you know, they don't necessarily have the manpower to deal with this. And, you know, I've spoke with other places that might have the manpower to deal with this and they don't feel like they have the expertise to do it. So, um, you know, it's it's going to be very challenging for these companies. It'll be really interesting to see Um you know, what FinCEN ends up coming up with and how they manage to enforce it or if they're even able to enforce it. We know that some, uh, to your point, there are some geographic locations that attract this kind of money more than others. In the past, it's, you know, Manhattan and Miami have been some of the, the you know, two locations that are going to attract the most of this kind of investment. But as we've seen in this market, I mean, there, uh, I mean, you, you mentioned 12 geographic areas, which is a lot, but also it's because if you look at the, you know, you, you now have all of this, um, 
the housing market, you have a hot housing market in places that you would never think of before. So in in turn, that really attracts different kinds of investment, more investment, because you're going to be able to sell it because there's more, you know, more activity going on. So I, I do think it's going to be interesting to see how this expands beyond the typical Manhattan and Miami, you know, market. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, while the $300,000 threshold is good, I mean, you could still kind of navigate around that by purchasing several properties that are, you know, below that price threshold and still are able to launder money um, that way. So it'll be interesting to see if they change the price threshold, if they get rid of it at all, um, and how they kind of navigate that loophole. You know, uh, switching topics a little bit, I know that for the magazine that you always, every month you report on sort of like a a state of the union on on where we're seeing uh, different markets and what's happening. And then even for, you know, the different, our different outlets, whether it's housing wire or real trends, you kind of, you kind of find those pockets of, of hot housing markets that people maybe don't realize are hot. If you're not in it, it's, it's like, what? That's that. I can't believe that. So you did Rochester, New York recently. Um, what are, what are you finding? If you want to just give us a sneak preview of some of the markets that you're talking about for the magazine. Sure. So one of the ones that I recently um, published a piece on on real trends was Bluffton, South Carolina. Um, And the population in Bluffton starting back in 2010 has really taken off. Um, You know, it's right near Hilton Head. It's kind of this in-between point between Hilton Head and Savannah, Georgia. And for a while was just somewhere that people would drive through. And eventually, you know, people were like, you know, it's super close to everything else and it's a nice place to live. Why don't we live here? And the population increased um, like, I think about 160% in 10 years, which is really quite impressive. Um, But that, of course, you know, has put a strain on the housing market there because they didn't necessarily have all the homes to, you know, withstand that huge influx of people. And, you know, with the pandemic, it's gotten even worse to an extent. Um, And previously, a lot of the people moving in were, you know, older, retired families, um, people looking to kind of move somewhere a bit warmer, a bit more mild and kind of enjoy great outdoors and everything it has to offer. And now with the pandemic, they've seen a lot of younger families move in. Um, You know, parents can work from wherever. Um, the school system there is pretty good and, you know, they're able to access everything outside and all this beautiful nature and surroundings that the area has. So um, they're really struggling right now. Inventory is super tight um, and that's across the board, whether it's, you know, a starter home to, you know, some of these 55 plus communities. Um, there's a ton of competition. It's really tight. Um, another uh, market that I've just started really looking into is Gillette, Wyoming, and it is the energy capital of the nation. Uh, they do a lot with coal and oil production there. Um, but, you know, Wyoming was really interesting to me because, you know, Colorado's right there, Utah's right there, Idaho's right there, and people have been moving to those areas like crazy over the course of the pandemic, and it's really been capturing headlines. and so. I wanted to kind of check out what is going on in Wyoming. Um, And of course, you know, Jackson with all the ski resorts and things like that, 
the housing market there is doing quite well and a lot of people are moving there. Um, but a lot of the real trends top agents um, from 2020 were in Gillette. And so that really caught my attention. Um, and so they're, you know, they're seeing a lot of people move there because it is a lower price point um, and it is a beautiful place to live. Uh, it's, you know, close to some of the biggest national parks and things like that. Um, but, you know, there a lot of people in the past have been moving there due to jobs in the energy industry. And, you know, with the current situation uh, in Russia and everything going on with the oil supply, they're expecting even more people to potentially be moving there because, there are currently a lot of open jobs in the oil industry, and they're expecting even more as you know production has to ramp up to meet global demands and even the national demand. You know those um, those oil and gas boom and bust towns are just fascinating. I know that Wyoming and Idaho. You know, a couple of years ago, we were reporting on the fact that people were living in the Walmart parking lot. Um, in, you know, in RVs and sort of campers and whatever they could do because there's just no housing. Um, and if they're bringing whole families with them with schools, to your, your point, it's just hard for a small town to scale up effectively. And then when the bus cycle comes, and we've seen this in different towns in Texas, right, then how do, what do they do? I mean, they're, they, they no longer have the, the jobs that were driving this influx, and they, but they've built in infrastructure based on that, right? They had to, whether it's hospitals or schools or whatever. So really always interesting to see that. But this one has some extra twists since we are in this particular situation. But just overall, we already have a housing crisis everywhere. So great reporting on that. We'll be looking for that as you come out with that. And um, thanks for sharing what you're seeing and, and what you're going to report on next. Um, our listeners can find you on Housing Wire. They can find you on Realtrends.com. You write a title newsletter for us every week that is uh, fascinating. Uh, you look into different parts of that industry and you're always reporting out specific things on that. So Brooklyn, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Looking for more insight into what will happen in 2022? Or maybe you need more information on what in the world is happening with the federal regulators. Or you could just be looking for information on how to stay competitive as the industry shifts to a purchase-focused market. Our HW Plus Premium Membership comes with all of this insight and more. With your HW Plus Membership, you'll get at least five HW Plus articles a week that dive deeper into the daily news to help you confidently make business decisions. To join, go to housingwarrant.com forward slash membership. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.